We've been uh, in this series called uh, Life and looking at this reality that we've been given this privilege in Christ to, to, to know Him, that grace has kind of enveloped us into life with God. That when you look through the New Testament, you look at the teachings of Jesus, that he, it's basically this invite that you've been given through Jesus and through faith in Him to live life with God. That really, that's what the whole message is about, the whole issue of everything that we face, and the whole invitation about um, the, the Christian life, the spiritual life, is centered around Jesus. And not just knowing Him and, and beginning a life with God, but now kind of enveloped into this walk where you actually get to walk things out in life with God. And so uh, we've been looking at the series going, hey, how do you have the best possible life? Because if you study Jesus' life, you go, that's a pretty good life. I, I think I'd like to have more of that. And so that's what this series has been about. It's maybe showing you some, some habits, uh, some, some rhythms that we see in his life. And yeah, he had a lot to say in his teachings. But we really want to look at some of the things and the, the way he lived, not just the things he talked about. And so tonight we're going to pick up in this practice of celebration. So, this practice of celebration is pivotal. And what we've said in this whole series is this isn't about trying to, to try harder in the spiritual life. This is about training yourself better. And this rhythm of celebration, you actually see a lot throughout the pages of the Scripture, throughout the pages of the Old Testament, New Testament. So I want to kind of do, uh, sometimes we, we camp on one passage and we say, kind of, we kind of dig it out a little bit and say, here's the, here's the teaching, here's the theology, here's what it's really going to. And tonight I want to kind of give you an overview because this practice of celebration is something that's not just in the life of Jesus. We see it demonstrated there, but really we see it all throughout. Now, how many of you have ever been to a party? If you are not raising your hand, I am so sad for you right now. So how many of you have been to a party, really, honestly? So, okay, we've all been to a party, right? There's uh, several kinds of parties, isn't there? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighborhood, which is the two or three people right around you. I want you to spend 10 seconds brainstorming the number of parties, the kind of parties people have. You've got 10 seconds. That's it. Ready? Go. 10 seconds. Nine. Eight. One, done. Okay. How many of you got, like, at least four? Okay, you got four types of parties. Okay, we got several. How many of you have been to grad parties? I mean, we got grad parties going right now. My son just graduated, so we got grad party tomorrow night. In fact, if you're free, you're welcome to come. Come on over. Uh, and so we are, uh, there's lots of different parties that, that happen. Sometimes we associate this idea of celebration with party, right? That's what we have, like, the party hats, and maybe that's not cool when you're 25. But um, it's just, we, we celebrate parties. We also kind of celebrate in our culture around award shows, okay? How many of you have ever watched an award show on TV, okay? So here's, here's your next challenge. You have 15 seconds to name as many award shows as you could think of, because in our culture, celebration kind of goes with award shows. You ready? 15 seconds, go. Some of you are like, I don't watch TV because I'm a Christian. <laughs> Stop it. Okay, seriously. <laughs> All right, how many of you got at least five? Anyone get more than ten? More than ten? More than eight? How many of you stopped counting because you were just playing a game? Okay, perfect. All right, well, 
this whole idea of celebration is something we see all throughout Scripture. It's, it's all over the place. And in a lot of ways, in our culture, we understand party. In fact, if you just look at TV, look at commercials, we kind of highlight this idea of party. We, we kind of we pigeonhole party into one segment, one kind of thing, and, and, and we could all kind of fill in the blank there. Uh, but I wonder in our culture if we really truly understand the practice of celebration. And are there differences between this culture of party and this culture of celebration? That we see throughout the scripture. And so I want us to kind of look at some things tonight that kind of get us there, look at some practical helps. And I think the bottom line tonight is, is a real simple principle for us to live by if we want to have the best possible life as we aim to align ourselves more and more with following Jesus. Now, I understand some of you may be here and you're like, well, I'm kind of on this spiritual journey and, and I'm kind of coming back to church. Someone invited me here and, and that's great. You don't have to be part of the convinced to, to belong here, to be a part of here. And we would love for you to investigate Jesus. But I think when you look at his life, this idea of celebration we see, because sometimes we think of Jesus as like this flannel graph Jesus where he has like he's two dimensional and like he was always teaching and he never had fun. Anyone grow up with that kind of Jesus, that image of Jesus that he was just always teaching, he was always mad at people, and uh, he never had fun? Okay, I don't think you can read through the Gospels honestly and not see that Jesus really enjoyed and actually had a great sense of humor. There's several places where you read, and I just I think it's hilarious when you actually see and understand the context of what's going on. Jesus knew how to have fun. Do you know Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding and a party? Hmm, maybe we forget about that. Jesus actually liked the party. What if God actually wants you to celebrate? What if parties, celebration, actually matters to God? Would that mess with your concept a little bit? See, celebration matters to God. In the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, if you look back, uh, kind of beginning Deuteronomy chapter 16, you can read it later this week if you want, but Deuteronomy 16 kind of sets up these festivals, these things, these parties, so to speak, that the Jewish people would have had to observe every single year. In fact, it lays out several of them. It says, okay, every year in this part of the calendar, in this part of the calendar, in this part of the calendar, you're to do this. And these aren't like birthday parties like today. See, we go to birthday parties, we go to Peter Piper Pizza, we endure an hour and a half of screaming kids, right? Uh, if you've ever been to your nieces or nephews parties or to your kids, hour and a half, and you're back in the car, you close the door, you're like, <sighs> and then you realize you forgot your kids because it's way too quiet. So you go back in, you get your kids, you come back out, and the, the party kind of goes with you, and it rolls home, and it's still high volume. We think of parties like that. These were like some days, seven day long parties. Okay, so God understands party. Okay, he understands celebration. In fact, he built it into the calendar for his people to observe because there were some, some strategic things he wanted them to remember. And part of celebration is learning to remember, learning to maybe re-anchor yourself to what really matters in life because in the speed, in the blur of how we live, we can easily let things begin to occupy our minds more than the people we actually get to live life with. Or we let objectives or goals kind of supersede the one who actually gives you life. And so God, 
very early on with his people. As he's kind of saying, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. We're here. Here's what I want you to do. And he built it into their daytimer. Okay. And said, this season, you're going to do this. This season, you're going to do this. And I want you to do this. And I want you to do it because this is about rejuvenating your soul. This is about helping you remember. So I have an eighth grader that graduated this week on Thursday. I have a high schooler that graduated Friday. And I'm sitting here at these things, and it was really dusty in the, the auditorium where we were. It was a lot of allergies. And um, I'm just realizing, and I had this moment with, with me and God, and I'm just realizing how blessed I am. And it was just, I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that with God, where it wasn't about, you were almost kind of outside of the moment you were sitting in, and you just, it, 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 kind of the last 20 years flashed before me. I'm kind of saying, okay, this is, this is what I asked this girl to marry me. And she said yes. I don't know why she said yes, but she did. And then we got in this journey, and then we had these kids, and I brought them home, and I remember being in a car seat and sitting in the hallway of the house, and I was like, now what? And, and, it's just, and I remember that moment. I have that picture sitting in my office, and fast forward 17 and a half years later, and now I'm watching them get a diploma. And it's just all these emotions start coming back through. And I'm remembering God's favor and grace over our family in every season of the journey. And it was just this incredible moment of gratitude. Of just saying, God, you run a universe. And yet you've got time to be dialed in to me and to my kids, to my family. And you've blessed us. And not just because we have good stuff. You've blessed us with your presence. You've blessed us with just opportunities to leverage our life for you. And you, you've just been a part of this journey. And, and I don't know if you've had one of those moments recently. But I think the idea of celebration, when you read through the Bible, one of the anchor points is that. That it would grow this gratitude within you as you look back. It kind of goes on. You know, there's another passage, Second Samuel chapter 6. You can read about this. David, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was taken, had been lost. This was kind of the preeminent thing that the Israelites kind of said, this is where, okay, this is where the Ten Commandments were. This is where Aaron's staff was. This is big time. Okay, it'd be like the bald eagle, so to speak. Someone took your flag, you know, whatever that is uh, for our country. But for them, it was big time. And it comes back and it's been moved into Jerusalem, the holy city. And David is dancing. It's that passage where he's dancing. This whole processional, this parade that's going on. There's music. There's all this kind of stuff. And David kind of takes this ark. He puts it toward where the, the, ark, the temple would be built one day when Solomon would build it. And it was this great celebration throughout the city. Because here's what David understood. Abraham was given a promise. And he said, your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars. And what's fascinating about this party that's beginning to break out as these Israelites are gathered, the kingdom has been established, peace is reigning in the land, the Ark of the Covenant has come home, and I bet you didn't know that David handed out raisin cakes and berry white CDs to all the married people and sent them home. Did you know that was in the Bible? Raisin cakes were an aphrodisiac in the ancient world. And he said to all the married people, here's your very white CD, here's some raisin cakes, go home. You'll figure it out. Because he knew, in that moment, he knew celebration was this beautiful thing of, of God's promise getting closer and closer to being reality. And he threw this party, and everybody was invited. 
And there was this great celebration that went throughout. Now, uh, we know the kingdom, and if you fast forward, you know history a little bit. Okay, the kingdom was established, Solomon was there, then it begins to kind of go into this northern and southern kingdom, and things go haywire. People deviate and drift away from God, falling after him with uh, discipleship and, and purity of heart. And all of a sudden, God is bringing the people, starting to stir people to want to come back to a land. They've been taken off to captivity, and Nehemiah appears on the scene, right? And Nehemiah says, hey, goes to the king and says, I, I want to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I want to go back and rebuild the city. And the king blesses him and says, yes, you go do that. And people start to come back. This remnant begins to come back. And he's rebuilding. And in that experience, which had to be incredibly traumatic, had to be incredibly laborsome, had to be this unbelievable objective of what they were taking on, in that moment, that maybe was filled with a lot of labor and a lot of hardship and a lot of struggle. There was also incredible joy. In fact, he has this passage in Nehemiah chapter 8 where he says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That happiness in our culture is a very fleeting thing. But joy is something that is really, really profound. And Nehemiah begins to, to lean back. They've been reading the scriptures. The people are struck to the core and they're in mourning. And then he says, stop mourning. Stop weeping. This is a time to party. This is a time to celebrate. We have discovered we've come home. And he issues this great celebration that the people begin to have. And they begin to see this. And all throughout the Old Testament, you begin to see this put on display more and more and more. This practice of celebration is all throughout the scriptures. It's something that we are to lean into. In fact, you look into the New Testament and you begin to see expressions of this. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. In some very challenging words, he says these very clearly, be joyful always. Rejoice continually. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, Philippians chapter 4, he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Where was he writing that from? Prison. Okay, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. This theme of joy. Paul's beginning to, to drill down and say, look, joy isn't based on circumstances. That's happiness. And happiness is weak. Because it's fleeting. And when your circumstances are good, then happiness will be there. But the moment it turns south, the moment it gets sideways, it runs away. And it leaves you hollow, and it leaves you empty. What you want is joy. This joy of the Lord, Nehemiah says, is your strength. It's something that can hold you and is available to you. Celebration matters to God. See, happiness is like White Castle burgers. Joy is like Zen burger. Much, much, much better. If you want to argue that, you're a fool. Um, happiness is based on human emotion. Happiness is an outside-in kind of thing. Joy is an inside-out type of thing. It's a gift of a divine connection. The scripture speaks of that we can have this joy. In fact, um, Jesus is teaching one day, and he, he's talking about staying connected to him, and that we are to live connected to him, and not live separate, not to try to live in our own power. And he's talking to his disciples, and he has these words. He says, um, 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. In a verse, uh, chapter uh, 15, verse 11, he says this. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. See, Jesus has an understanding here that I think is really profound. That it's easy to read over that verse. Listen, our joy is not complete in and of ourselves. In fact, that's what Jesus says. I'm telling you these things. In fact, all of the New Testament would hinge and pin joy to a person, not a circumstance. That the joy of the Lord is a strength because it's Jesus. That's what the New Testament points to. Jesus says, I've told you this. Okay, here's my love. I've passed on to you the same love the Father has for me. He has for you. You remain in that love. You remain there. Because then your joy will be complete. My joy will be in you. And your joy will then be complete. Meaning it will be incomplete if you try to do it all on your own. If you try to make it just about circumstances. If you try to have it depend and be determined by just the situations that are going on around you. If you just lean into those things, that's not going to fill you. That's going to give you a happiness, maybe, for moments and flashes. But it's not going to be a deep, resounding joy that can travel with you in every single moment of life that you face. In the mountaintops and in the valleys. You can be a person that's filled with joy because joy is better. It's sin burger. It's better. It's what can really minister to you. It's what can carry you. In fact, C.S. Lewis says this, Joy is the serious business of heaven. We think things in running a universe... Uh, we think things sometimes get monotonous. I don't think God ever thinks things get monotonous. I think He has as much joy today as He did the first day. I think He's in eternal joy. And I think we're so dependent on happiness that we miss out on the beauty of the joy. We, we miss out on the joy completeness that we can have as a person who's just fully trusting in Jesus to fill my joy. And that, yeah, I might have happy moments, but I can have a joy that can carry me in every single moment. That I can move forward. That I can have, in, in, in the forefront of my mind, I can make joy the serious business of my life. That I can live with a, a, an awareness of God's um, activity in my life that feeds me with an eternal joy that says, God, the, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the one who runs everything, is dialed into me this Monday morning. Yeah, lattes are good, but Jesus is better. And He's with me. And yeah, the afternoon coffee can help, but Jesus is with me, and He's better. He created caffeine, so you can enjoy it. It's okay. We tend to think of Jesus a lot of times as stiff and kind of arm's length, and I think what was most disappointing to the disciples, those moments, those days when Jesus was separated from them, I think was just his joyful presence. Just this peace that was about him. He was never frazzled. He didn't seem upset at any circumstances. 
He was upset with people that were twisting things and doing things that were outside of God's best. But he never seemed rattled by circumstances, did he? The boat's sinking, he just walks on water. He never seemed rattled by that. He had this joy, this connection that, that God was always with him. That he was always with his people. He was aware, he was alert, he was attuned in. And I think sometimes uh, the question we need to ask ourselves is, can you be a grumpy Christian? I'm serious. If joy is the serious business of heaven, and if we are never separated from the love of God, if there is no condemnation, for me because of Christ Jesus and because of my standing with Him, if I am never alone in any circumstance I face, if I am always in the presence of the One who is more powerful than anything else in the universe, should I be grumpy? And think about how much damage has been done to the cause of Christ because of grumpy Christians. Now, does that mean you have to wear a fake smile all the time? No, that's dumb. Does that mean you can never be down and never be disappointed? Does that mean you can never be sad? No. But I think this idea of grumpiness really has a lot to do with our sense of want for control, right? If I'm not in control and things aren't unfolding the way I want them to be, then I'm grumpy about it, right? In a lot of sense, it boils down to control or fear. I'm afraid of what might happen, what might unfold. And I think the invitation for us is to realize that we can be a people, that if Jesus' words are true, that my joy can be in you and that your joy can be complete. That maybe this practice of celebration allows us and helps us to continue to move forward in life, to understand some things and to, to be able to say, this is something that I can hold on to. Psalm 43, it says this famous passage, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so depressed or broken within me? Put your hope in God. That sometimes our hope begins to be putting in these other circumstances. The Psalms goes on and says, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what the circumstances might be around, this is the day. It's not the day I graduate and I finally move on to the next chapter. It's not the day that I get the new job and finally I can then move on to this new thing. It's not the day that I finally get that girlfriend or that boyfriend to say yes and to, to hang around me. And then finally I will be complete. Jesus said, no, my joy will be in you. And your joy will then be complete. And it's us going back to that. To a person, not a situation, not a circumstance, not an adventure. Those things are good, they're necessary, enjoy them, be a part of them, work your way, navigate through the difficult parts, but those are not where you find your joy. Joy has a name, and his name is Jesus. And as we continually go back to him, uh, John Orberg writes this, speaking of this practice of celebration, he says, if we don't rejoice today, this day, we won't rejoice at all. 
If we wait until conditions are perfect, we'll still be waiting when we die. If we're going to rejoice, we must choose to rejoice in this day. Hearkening back. See, the celebration anchors us to God's joy. Celebration also uh, it brings people closer together. You know that to be true. How many of you have been at a sporting event sitting around people that you don't know? And a touchdown is scored or a basket is made. And you turn around and you're high-fiving people that you do not know. And you think it's normal. Right? It's perfectly normal in that moment. And I've seen bro hugs happen between people who don't even know each other. Any other part, if you were at Starbucks and then like you suddenly turned around and just hugged a guy, that's weird, okay? That's just weird. It'd be weird. But at a game, it seems okay, right? It's like, oh, our team, you know, it's our team. We're do- we did it. No, they did it, actually. But, um, but, you know, I'm here cheering, and that's why they did it. And so, you know, we have a weird love relationship with sports. And, and like that, we understand celebration bonds our hearts together. I think that's why we throw birthday parties. That's why families get together, because it bonds our hearts together. It has a way of connecting. It's why e-groups should go see Jurassic World together. I'm very excited about this. I'm so excited for my group to go do this because it matters. We should go celebrate. We should have a good time. It's why e-groups should have parties. It's why you should be in an e-group because you need to have people that you can celebrate life with. It draws your hearts closer together. Uh, my family does this in a, in a, a simple, easy way. Um, we do a certain toast. Toast used to be like a big thing, and then they kind of went away, and we kind of brought this tradition back. We've been doing it for a long time. Whereas we're out to dinner, or we're celebrating over a meal, we've grilled out or something, and we're celebrating an accomplishment, an award, an achievement of some kind, a character of a person, a birthday, whatever we're doing. Uh, we'll stop in the middle of that, and we'll toast that person. And we'll take some time to actually bless them and to say, here's some things we appreciate about you. Here's the things we see in your life. We got to do this as a creative team with a couple people who have uh, left and kind of moved on to other adventures. And we got to take a time just to celebrate them and speak words of love and hope into their life. And here's my invitation to you this week. It's, you could even say, the pastor told me I have to do this, okay? This week, you need to go out to eat. I don't care if it's Taco Bell or a steakhouse, somewhere in between. It could be ice cream or yogurt. I don't care. You need to go out with some people that you love, the people that you trust, the people you have around, or you need to gather in a home, and you need to take a moment and practice celebration and do it with a toast. It could be simple as, okay, we're all going to go around and share one thing that we appreciate about the other person in this group. And you're going to just walk around and just kind of work your way around. And at the end, you're doing a toast in their honor. Make sense? This is a simple practice that you could do. And I'm telling you, as you practice this and do this more, it will help you not only draw you closer together, but it will also anchor you back to God's joy. It will help you understand that this practice of celebration matters because celebration matters to God. It's this principle that we try to live by. It's this. The practice of celebration doesn't have to be spectacular, but it must be strategic. It will not just happen. You have to make it happen. And so for our family, that's one of the things we've done. We did it last night with cheesecake. We ate cheesecake for dinner. Take that, Mom. And we did that because we had a couple graduations, and we all raised our forks and said, this is our toast tonight. 
and we toasted the graduates and we said, we're so proud of you. And we spoke into their life and we just wanted to take a moment to celebrate them and to honor them because celebration matters. And we want to be people that practice. The last uh, thought here is the practice of celebration helps us savor God and his activity in our lives. When you practice celebration, it's all about savoring. We live in a culture that doesn't like to slow down very often. That's why this has to be strategic. It doesn't have to be spectacular. You don't have to go out to a resort and do all that. You can do it with paper cups and water at home. You can do this with just simple notes that you write to one another. It could be around a family gathering or or a table of friends where you just take a moment and you celebrate a person that maybe just accomplished something, just achieved something, just had something good happen in their life, and you want to celebrate with them. One of my favorite Bible verses, Romans 12, 15, says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That you rejoice, that you make joy, you make this practice of celebration uh, something specific and strategic that you do often because it will help you savor things in life. To savor things in life is this beauty of saying, God, I don't want to move past this moment too quickly. I want to actually take a moment and celebrate the people in my life. I don't want to move on to number next too fast. I want to actually savor. I want to slow down and I want to understand. You know, for me, this uh, couple nights ago was this idea of, of looking and saying, wow, I've got a high school graduate and I'm 24. It's amazing um, how this happened. I'm not sure. Okay, I'm not, by the way. Um... If you're any good in math, you know that. Celebration is something that helps us savor God. It helps us know, okay, all of who God is and all that he will be, all that he's done. Why did the the Israelites have to do these festivals? Why were they put in? It wasn't so that they would be just going through the motions. It was to help them remember that the creator of the heavens and the earth picked them. And he sought them out and he rescued them. And he was active in their life. And his grace and his love was actively involved around them in their past and would promise to be in their present and was an anchor to the future of his presence and his activity in their life. That it grew the connections they had with one another. That God's promise is, his promises always pulled them forward. It never let them stay stuck. That savoring is about helping develop an attitude of gratitude in our hearts where we're overwhelmed by the beauty of God's activity in our life. The practice of celebration is a practice that we see on display in the life of Jesus. We see on display throughout the, the pages of Scripture, and it's one that's meant to be on display in your life and in my life. Here's the bottom line I wrote. Celebration helps us grow in gratitude for God's active love in our lives. That's why we do it. Because we want to recognize that God is a good God. And yeah, we have challenges in life. And yes, we have hardships and difficulties. But He promises that we're never alone. That there is no condemnation for me any longer. That I get to walk life with God. That He promises to empower me. Does that mean I'm going to have every wish ever answered? No. But it means I'm not going to go without. That He's going to be there with me. He's he's put this church into place that it would walk with me. And I want to be a person that savors that, not misses that. And I think in our culture, it's easy to miss it. 
it's easy to let all the other things overwhelm us and distract us and, and rob us from the joy that we get when we stop and we savor. When I was a kid, uh, we would go to this restaurant. And at this restaurant, there was this Mexican restaurant, which when I was young and I moved here from Pennsylvania, it was this idea of, I don't want this to fly everywhere. There we go. I didn't think Mexican food was that good when I first got here, and now I'm realized it's pretty much the only thing they're going to serve in heaven, and I'm super excited about that. So uh, I hope that you're ready for that, too. It's just all you can eat. Uh, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, and so we would, I would learn to grow. We'd meet family there. We would meet friends there sometimes. And at the end of the night, my dad would toss me a nickel. Now, this is a long time ago. And I would take that nickel up to the counter, and I would buy a York peppermint patty. And I remember going out to the car, chewing on that mint, and the smell of that mint, and just the taste of the chocolate, and just the freshness of what it was like. And I grew up loving those dinners. I grew to like Mexican food, but I really like the mint. Anyone like a mint? So. I don't want here. Let's just do this. So, I'm trying to catch people. Catch people. Just anybody else? You want some mints? Okay. Heads up. You know, just don't let it hit a baby. That's that'd be bad. Okay. Over there. Okay. I don't know if I got close enough. I'm really gonna put someone's eye. I am not. These are underinflated. I think. It just. So anyway, uh, there's one right there. I'm just. I've got one more. Here you go. I saved myself one because I'm the one speaking. Um, <clears throat> but, mmm, that's good stuff. Every time I ate one of these, I remembered that dinner. And I would savor the opportunity that God gave us to live around good friends and to have people invest in our lives. So here's the challenge for you this week. What would it look like for you to begin to savor more and not just run through things, but to actually pause and to practice celebration? To let Jesus' joy, he says, my joy will be in you and your joy will then be complete. What would it look like to let that begin to develop and grow gratitude in you for God's active love in your past and in your present and the guaranteed active love in your future. And so, to be fair, there's a mint for all of you as you leave tonight. And I want you to take it and eat it any point you want this week, but I want you to remember as you do and as the whole time that you chew it slowly, Swallow is important. But as you're chewing it, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 30 seconds and just thank God for the way that His active love has been present and active in your life up to this point and the promise of His active love being uh, activated and, and faithful into your future. And I want you to practice celebration. I really do want you to go out to eat tonight. Or this week. Anywhere from Taco Bell to the Steakhouse. Somewhere. And I want you to practice celebration because it matters. Celebration matters to God. 
And it matters for you and for me to begin to taste and see that the Lord is good and to live more and more anchored to this gratitude of understanding that His active love is present and it is assertive. It takes initiative into your life. We remember uh, that Jesus has this eternal joy, and yet He had to go through hardship. In fact, the, the writer of Hebrews says this, that for the joy set before Him, that He is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, that for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because it is finished. He said so. And when he says it's finished, then it really is. And I don't have to walk in condemnation anymore. I don't have to walk in a a sense of helter-skelter. I don't have to walk in a sense of I've got to make everything happen. I get to walk and enjoy life with God because I'm constantly celebrating the fact that He picked me, that He picked you. And that's what we remember in communion. And so we're going to move into a time of observing communion. Uh, we do that here in a, in a way that gives you space to contemplate and reflect on maybe something you heard, something you want to pray through. And so here's what I'm going to invite us to do the next uh, 10 minutes or so, is just to observe communion. You could do that. There's stations down here front and down in the middle there. And at any point, you're welcome to go do this. We're going to have a couple different songs that we're going to sing. And I want to invite you to lean into celebration and to truly celebrate and worship. Next week, we're going to practice, we're going to kind of initiate the practice of worship. We're going to have a worship night next week. And it's all going to be about that. And so if that's you, you are more than welcome to come. We'd love to have you. If that's not you and you're like, I'm not a worshiper, come anyway. Because this is something we are called to practice. And so I want to invite you to be here next week. And in these next couple songs, I want to invite you just to lean in and to celebrate all of who God is. And to celebrate what He did for you in communion. Giving His life, giving, shedding His blood, His brokenness of His body given for you. That you might not walk in condemnation, that you might walk in freedom, that you might walk in journeying life with God through faith in Him. And so, Father, we pray that in these next few moments here, as we, uh, we want to be a people that practice celebration. And that's not always easy. It's not something that um, when we're feeling down or we get circumstances that are swirling around us that are challenging, it's not an easy switch to flip emotionally. But, Father, this isn't about emotion. This is about joy. And joy is a deep-rooted sense that we're going to, okay, we're going to be okay. And that you've got us. Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is about emotion. Joy is so much deeper. It's got such deeper roots to it. So, Father, we lean into communion tonight. We celebrate. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life, shed your blood, that we might have the forgiveness of our sins, we might have life with you through faith in you. As we sing these songs, would you stir our hearts to celebrate your character, the hope that we have in you, Would you allow us to lean in to your love? We thank you that your love is active in our lives. We pray that you grow us as a people to be grateful. God, I pray that you'd make us a people. That your joy is a strength and it shines in such a way that we're never accused of being a grumpy Christian. That we're a joy-filled follower of Jesus who may have bad days, 
but we have an incredible life. Life with you.